sometimes in the culture in which we're living and the status of uh, our country, of our society, with all of the social upheaval that's going on, all of the political unrest that is going on, uh, people say, do can we not find anywhere one statesman among us who's going to stand up and speak with wisdom and clarity and balance and, and someone who has at, at, at heart the best interest of someone besides himself? Because we're living in a culture <clears throat> that is very self-centered. A long time ago, God looked at his people and, and he saw the, the, the moral apostasy. He saw, he, he saw the religious chaos. He saw the social upheaval. He, he saw the political uh, confusion that was going on. And God said repeatedly to his people, can, can we not find among us one man who will stand up and be a man, I'm saying to you, the search for a man, a man who is a man. The Apostle Paul is going to say, act like a man. Be strong. Do what is right. In Ezekiel chapter 22, God said, I searched for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand in the gap before me for the land so that I would not destroy it, but I found no one. Can you imagine that? God saying of his own people. I, I looked everywhere among them. I, I was looking for one man who would stand in the gap between God and his people, Jerusalem, the city. He said, I was looking for one man who would plead on behalf of the people. I didn't find them. Are, are you familiar with this period of time? Ezekiel chapter 22. You know the context? Ezekiel is not at home. He's not in Jerusalem. Where is he? He's in a refugee camp on the river Kibar. 20 miles south of Babylon, with 10,000 of his best friends from Jerusalem. They're expatriated. And God is speaking through the prophet, and he was saying, I have looked and looked and looked for one man to stand up between me and the people and plead on their behalf. I haven't found him yet, God said. Jeremiah said essentially the same thing as Blake read to us this morning. God said, run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. Look and take note. Search her squares to see if you can find a man, one who does justice and seeks truth so that I may pardon And though they say, as the Lord lives, they swear falsely. Oh, they talk a good game. They speak religiously. They live like the devil. Don't be fooled, God said. 
Isaiah chapter 59 begins with some very familiar words. God said, my my hand is not shortened that I cannot save. My ear is not deaf that I don't hear your prayers. That's not the problem here. Your sins have separated you from your God. That's the problem. And he goes on to say, even through the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah is coming a hundred years later. Excuse me, a hundred years earlier. Isaiah is prophesying 750 to 680 B.C. Jeremiah and Ezekiel are around 630 to 580 in that period of time. And you know, God, God is looking for a man. He's looking for someone who's going to come and, and stand among his people. And so I'm trying to get back to Ezekiel here. So God said, I, I searched for a man, but I found no one. Uh, do, do you remember back in Genesis chapter 19? We just studied this recently on, in our Wednesday night class. God, God is letting Abraham know, look, I'm about to destroy the cities of the plain. I'm about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And immediately, Abram, Abraham steps in between God and the city. And he said, wait, I, I know that you're the judge of all the earth, and I know that you will do what is right. If there are 50 righteous souls, would you spare the city? God said, yes, I would spare them for 50. And what about 45 or 40? What, what is he doing? Abraham is standing in the gap, and he's pleading on behalf of the people. What happens when Moses comes down from the mount, and he sees the people worshiping the golden calf? God said to Moses, put your tablets down, your tablets, are get down this mountain. You will not believe what my people are doing. God said, I am going to destroy, I'm going to kill them all. I'm going to separate myself. I'll tell you what he said. I, I'm going to, I, I'm going to uh, let them go to the land because I promised Abraham that, but I'm not going with them. And Moses stands in the gap. And Moses pleads on behalf of the people. And he said, Lord, if, if you don't go with us, I'm not going either. Standing. The gap. God said, I'm looking for someone. What, what's happened in 606 B.C.? In the days of Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, otherwise known as Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. In those days, Nebuchadnezzar's troops arrived at Jerusalem for the first time in 606, 605 B.C. And they took of the royalty a few of the choice young men. God didn't completely destroy the city. But it is clear that the Babylonian army is poised. The Chaldeans are coming. Their days are numbered. And God is calling his people to repent, and they are not repenting. And no one is standing up among them and leading them in, in repentance. And, and so in 606 and 605, 
Daniel, Hananiah, uh, Mishael, Azariah, they are expatriated along with others, and they're taken to Babylon, the palace. The people don't get the message. There is no one who stands in the gap. In 597, God gives them a second chance. The army shows up again. This time, they take 10,000 captives, including the one who was on the throne at the time, including Ezekiel. And they take them, not to Babylon, the palace. They take them to this refugee camp. And now God is waiting. He is searching for a man who's going to stand in the gap and convince him not to destroy that city. He didn't find one. And you know what happened in 586? Nebuchadnezzar showed up for the third time. And he plowed that city to the ground. And God said, I was looking for a man who would stand in the gap one who would plead for my people and plead for the land. And I didn't find one. And I'll tell you, if there's anything, there's anything that is needed among the people of God, his ancient people, his people today. There's anything that's needed. It would be men of spiritual integrity who would stand in the gap and be a leader among God's people and plead on behalf of God's family. The problem began in the garden. God created Adam first. He placed him in the garden. He clearly had responsibility to dress and keep the garden. He clearly had responsibility to name all of the animals, to name the woman. He clearly had responsibility to take the leadership. In Genesis chapter 3, Satan comes into the garden, engages the woman in, in conversation, convinces her to take of the fruit and eat it. And Adam was with her. And do you remember reading in Genesis chapter 3, that Adam stands up and he plants his feet firmly and he said, as the Lord God has spoken, this is not right. And as for me and my wife, we, no, you don't read that. Because he didn't say anything. She ate of the fruit. She gave it to him, and he followed right behind her. And I'm saying to you, that the dearth of spiritual and moral integrity and true biblical leadership is not a new problem. It's been around for a long time. It's been, it's been around since the garden. God has a tremendous desire that among his people that we would grow up 
and we would step into the roles and the responsibilities that God has given to us so that we can glorify him and honor him in the lives that we are living. The principle of godly male leadership is repeated over and over again in the text. We can ignore it. We can avoid it. We can choose not to see it. But I'm saying to you folks, for those who believe in the Bible, the the scriptures are clear on this point. You can't miss it. Over and over and over again, God is saying to his people, I am looking for a man who will stand up and be a man of God. And so in 1 Timothy chapter 2, the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy, who is in Ephesus, and is no doubt already dealing with some incipient forms of Gnosticism that Uh, the seeds of which have already been sown among the people of God. And Paul said, beginning in verse 8, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling, likewise also that the women adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty, self-control, not with braided hair and golden pearls and costly attire, but what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let women learn in quietness with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Why? For Adam was formed first and then Eve. I want to say to you that the established divine order of things is, is not the result of Genesis 3. The established divine order of things is the result of Genesis 2. It's the result of Genesis 2. Why is it that God's order is this? The Apostle Paul simply said, because Adam was formed first and then Eve. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul, as he is dealing with God's divine order, he says, Now, I commend you, chapter 11 and verse 2, I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of the wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. In Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 22, the apostle Paul is calling God's people to glorify God full of the Spirit by fulfilling the role that God has given to them. Wives, submit unto your husbands as unto the Lord. You husbands, you love your wives as you love your own bodies, as you love your own flesh. And the Apostle Paul is going to say in Ephesians chapter 5 that this man is to love his wife even as Christ loved the church, and he's going to remind them that Jesus loved the church so much that he gave himself up for the church. First Peter chapter 3, Peter is going to begin his remarks to godly women 
by reminding them. Be subject to your husbands that even if they do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. And he goes on to talk about Sarah's conduct with her own husband, Abraham, calling him Lord. And then she's, uh, he says, and you husbands, you live with your wives according to knowledge in an understanding way, and you show honor to her as you would to a precious or a delicate vessel. And the Apostle Paul is going to say, as he's calling for leadership among the people of God, that the man who is a man of integrity, a man of spiritual maturity, the husband of one wife, who has shown his ability to rule his own household. Well, Paul is going to describe this kind of leadership. I'm telling you that there is nothing, that there is nothing that can be substituted for or, or nothing that can take the place of God's divine order. He is looking for men of spiritual integrity, men of spiritual maturity, men who are willing to stand up and act like men. And that's going to show up in four or five ways very quickly. Number one, you're going to see that a man of God, the man that God is looking for, is a man of true spiritual character. Jesus said, look, there's plenty of the manufactured, artificial, marketing kind of, uh, of men that are being put forth today. And Jesus said, don't be fooled and don't be deceived. The righteousness of the Pharisees that is all about show is not true righteousness. You let your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the, of the scribes and Pharisees, or else you'll have no part in the kingdom. True righteousness is not just showy. It's not just what the world says. True righteousness means that's who you really are. It's who you really are. When, when the lights are off, when no one's looking, that's who you really are. And Micah said, chapter 6 and verse 8, what, what does God require of you? What is the Lord looking for? that you do justice, that you love mercy, and that you walk humbly with your God. I want to say to you, spiritual maturity, spiritual character isn't complicated. It's challenging and difficult, but it's not complicated to understand. You do justly. What does it mean? It means, men, that you stand up and you do the right thing. Not just when someone is standing behind you, poking you in the back, nudging you in the side, urging you on, I really think you should do that. I really think you should say something. I really think. No, it is the willingness and the maturity to take the lead and do what is right. God was looking in all of his people. He was looking for a man who would stand up and do the right thing. That's what he's looking for today. Someone who will do the right thing, regardless of what other people are doing. 
regardless of what other people are saying, <laughs> regardless uh, of, uh, of what the consequences may be. Here is a man who has chosen to do what is right. He, he's chosen to do justice, to love mercy. He's compassionate. He cares about other people. He's not all about himself. Let me tell you, we are living in the most me-first society I think this world has ever known. Our culture is obsessed with self. The man of God is not. He's the opposite of that. Other people's interests, other people's concerns, the welfare of those around him, close to him, that is preeminent. It's prominent. It is first for him, not himself. And humility. He's not pompous. He's not arrogant. He's not full of himself. This is a person who walks humbly with his God. This is a person, the man that God is looking for is a man who lives sacrificially with his wife. That's why Paul said, you need to love your wife like Christ loved the church. Oh, by the way, do you remember he died for the church? In Philippians chapter 2, after Paul has said, you have this mind in you which was also in Christ Jesus, what does he remind us of? He reminds us that Jesus was in heaven with God. He is God. He emptied himself of all that heaven had to offer so that he could become a man and die for us. You think you've given up something on behalf of your wife that's really big? It's really important? It's, it's, it's really, really a big deal? You go back and read Philippians chapter 2. And then tell me about your sacrifice. God's looking for a man who will be a true man of spiritual integrity and one who will sacrificially love his wife and demonstrate that love. But not only his wife, he's going to be a man in respect to his own children. Ephesians chapter 6, the apostle Paul, as he's giving God's order of things, wives with their husbands, husbands with their wives. Now he's going to talk about children to their parents and parents to their children. And he's going to tell children to obey their parents. And he's going to say, and you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but you bring them up. You train them in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. It was part of the law. When Moses gave the statutes and the commandments to God's people, he said, these aren't just for you, for your Bible class twice a week, for you to memorize five points of the Ten Commandments and recite them in class. This is who you are. This describes your very nature and character as a people. You bind these things uh, around, uh, around your neck. You, you wear them. You put them before your eyes. You put them on the doorpost of your house. You put them everywhere. You immerse yourself in this work. I'll tell you something. Fathers have the responsibility to train their children in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. At the very least, God never intended that mothers would do that 
dragging their dad along, kicking and screaming all the way. And God's order of things, the man of God is the man of the book. He's the man of the word. Do you have a book? God intends for you to use it. He intends for this book to become part of you. He intends for you to eat these words, that they become sweet like honeycomb within your mouth. God intends for you to know this book. He does not intend for you to just kind of go along while your wife takes care of spiritually training your children. Your wife has responsibilities in that. Well, I'm talking to men this morning. God's looking for a man who's going to be a biblical man of God. And he's going to say, look, the time comes that your children are going to ask you, what, what do these stones mean? What does this bread mean? What's this Passover mean? You tell them the story. Your children will only understand who they are if you teach them who they are. Otherwise, someone will convince them of something else. God's ideal of a man is one who is a provider and protector for his family. The Apostle Paul is going to say, to the church. Don't, don't neglect those who are widows among you. And he's going to say to Timothy, you have the right relationship with the older folks and the younger folks, the older men, the younger men, the older women, the younger women. Don't neglect the widows. But he's going to say, let families be families. And, and, and benevolence begins at home. And he's going to say, if any man does not provide for his own he has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. The responsibility of providing and protecting is a responsibility that is given in a unique way to the man. Just as in Titus chapter 2, the responsibility of being a keeper at home is given in a unique way to a woman. It's not to say that a man can't run the vacuum or that a woman cannot uh, contribute to the welfare of the family. It's not to say that. It is to say the primary responsibility is laid right here right here. And that responsibility, if any man does not provide for his own, we're not just talking about providing them food, clothing, shelter, education. We're talking about being a spiritual provider as well. And I'll tell you, a man like this is the man that God says, he can be an asset to our spiritual family. That's why when you read those pastoral letters, the letter that Paul wrote to Timothy at Ephesus, the letter that he wrote to Titus at Crete, that's why Paul talked about the selection of a godly, of godly spiritually mature men who had become leaders among God's people. And, he said, and Paul said, I'll tell you one of the things you need to be looking for. You need to be looking for a man who is the man of God, first of all, in his own marriage and in his own family. 
And God said, what? Why, why would I choose him to lead my spiritual family if he hasn't shown any, any interest at all or any skill at all in leading his own physical family? Why? It's to be a man of influence. A man who's able to influence his own family, a man who will be able to influence the spiritual family. He'll be a genuine asset to his spiritual family. I'll tell you who God is looking for. He's looking for someone like Joshua. He's looking for a man to be a man, a man to stand in the gap, a man to plead on behalf of God's people, a man who will be a man of influence among God's people, and a man who will be able to stand up and to say with confidence, and to say with assurance, everybody's got a choice to make here. Everyone will choose for himself, but I will tell you, speaking for my house, speaking for my family, this is the man God's looking for. This is the man who says, as for me, and as for my house, we will serve the Lord. This is a man who's going to be instrumental and effective and fruitful in taking others to heaven rather than being the one that someone is trying to drag him along, kicking and screaming, trying to drag him through the pearly gates, even though he acts like he doesn't really want to. There's a huge difference, folks. God's looking for the man. This church is well served as we grow and mature and develop our families our children, as we come to understand the importance of being the people that God called us to be. So many things as we go forward in this new year, as God gives us life, breath, and opportunity, so many things we need as we equip ourselves to do the work that we've been called to do. There is nothing that we need more. than having among ourselves men who will stand up and be men of God and lead themselves, their families, and others to a closer relationship with Him. If you're here this morning and not a Christian, what a wonderful way to start this new year. If you've never obeyed the gospel of Christ, confessing Jesus as the Son of God and putting him on in baptism, you can do that this morning. If you're a child of God who needs to come home to the Lord, what a wonderful way to start this year by coming home. While we stand and sing, we invite you to come. <clears throat> yes, Lord,